Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of The Drop. Greg Wyshynski, Ardo Cal, with you twice every single week on Tuesdays and Thursdays, wherever you get your audio podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, also on the NHL on ESPN, YouTube. We had a live show on Tuesday to commemorate the start of Boy, the NHL we? regular season, and that is on in our archives right now. Uh, wish the first day of the regular season is in the books. I really, really wish we focused a little bit more on Connor Bedard. <laughs> it was, I, I gotta tell you, man, I woke up the day after his debut and I said to myself, it has been 15 minutes since someone has mentioned Connor Bedard. I, I was going through withdrawal. I had the shakes. I'm like, what is he doing? What is he looking at? Who's he with? Is he, did he assist on a goal? Uh, did he forget his stick? Is he wearing his helmet? What's, what's, what's Connor Bedard? <laughs> I felt really, really, really out of sorts. I need constant updates. I need there to be a Twitter feed of some sort that gives me five minutes on the hour updates on what Connor Bedard is up to. At all times. And that leads us to uh, our first segment here on the show, the overhyped, underhyped <laughs> NHL rankings to come into the regular season. Which teams, which players do we believe are way overhyped, way underhyped, underappreciated? Why don't we start with teams, Wish? Your team, in your opinion, that is overhyped coming into the season is? Uh, it's the Buffalo Sabres. I got to be honest with you. I don't quite see it yet. Uh, I know a lot of others do. There are some people picking them to be a wild card team this year to make the playoffs for the first time in over a decade. And look, I only want that to happen. Let that be be clear. Like, I want the best for the Sabres. I want them to be relevant. That is a fan base that if they are contending again, is going to pop much like the Blackhawks did when they started contending again, much like the Boston Bruins did when they started contending again. That's the next one that is going to pop. Flaming tables, Buffalo wings, all of it. It's going to be fantastic. But I just don't think they're quite there yet. And I think people have kind of put them ahead of that pack of them, Ottawa and Detroit, before they're really ready. Uh, give another year and they'll be there. But the hype train, I think, needs to slow its roll a little bit on the Buffalo Sabres, who will probably start the season hard to like 10 and 0 and then lose 20 <laughs> in a row. Like that's what Buffalo does. Yeah, fair enough. I, I like them overhyped because they're a lot of fun to watch. So I guess I am. Uh, basking in the glow and the joy of the overhypedness of the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, I would have also picked Buffalo, but just to spice it up, I picked Ottawa only because I feel like they're getting the same level of hype from last season. On paper, they look great. On paper this, on paper that. Look at the moves in the offseason. We get it. Didn't work out so well for them last season. Might be a little bit better this season. Like you said, they are in that conversation, that vicinity of the Sabres and the Red Wings, etc., uh, but it, it just feels like the same conversation as last year, just different faces. So that's yeah, why I'm I putting them in that category. I hotshotted them and the Vancouver Canucks into the playoffs in my predictions, and they're both like dealing with early injury problems. So yeah, things are great. I'm glad, glad I picked them. <laughs> Your underhyped team. Uh, we saw them already this week, man. It's It's hard to imagine that a team that wheels out a slot machine onto the ice during a banner raising ceremony <laughs> could possibly be underhyped. But I'm telling you, man, how many people have you seen picking the Vegas Golden Knights to repeat? 
not a whole hell of a lot, right? We're all on Carolina or Jersey or a lot of people on Edmonton. And the major loss for this team from last year's incarnation that won the cup was Riley Smith, which is, again, like if any team in this league is used to saying goodbye to guys and then just trudging along and, and being successful, it's the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, I am a little bit concerned about Aiden Hill turning into a pumpkin. I'm not sold on Logan Thompson, but they already showed that if they play well enough in front of any goalie, they can be successful in the playoffs. So I, I'm I'm surprised that we aren't all a little bit more uh, on the repeat train for the Golden Knights this year. Speaking of banner-raising presentations, we have the chief content officer of the National Hockey League, Steve Mayer, joining us later in the show, and he addresses the banner-raising ceremony and uh, how that all came together. So that's coming up later. Uh, yeah, you're right. We're not talking enough about the Stanley Cup champs. I'm going to pull a complete 180 on the Winnipeg Jets. Oh. Uh, in our preview shows, I was very despondent about them. I thought that, that this would be a team that would implode. Maybe there was some toxicity in the locker room just due to the geographical, the fact that they geographically are in the city of Winnipeg and maybe a couple of key players uh, didn't want to be there uh, based on what had been publicly said. But now we know identical contracts for Shifley and Hellebuck. And that to me changes the complexion of that team or the perception of that team completely. Uh, that distraction is gone. And the teams commit to that team, that market, and they seem happy by it. And so to me, those are two massive pieces uh, that make me think that we should be thinking about the Winnipeg Jets more as a threat in the West. So it's I'm pulling a complete 180. I they're can admit. Yeah, they're all, I was going to say they're always a team that we seem to count out. And then lo and behold, they're like in a wild card before you know it, right? And this is me as an exercise showing that, yes, I can admit when I'm wrong. Uh, as a man, and I'm going to show this clip uh, to my wife so that she that's, understands. That's growth. That. That's growth. That's I'm still growth. surprised. I'm like, I'm, I'm not. Again, like I said, like on the show the other day, I'm not surprised Hellebuck resigned. I am surprised that Shifley resigned. Resigned. I'm, I'm surprised when anybody resigns in Winnipeg because, as you know, as a friend of the show, Ilya Brishgalov once told us, Arda, mm -hmm. uh, Winnipeg has no parks. They all live underground, and they never see the sunlight. And we I need guess a, people, people resign there all the time. Side note, we need a Greg Wyshynski, Ilya Brizgalov regular segment <laughs> where you just answer questions as Ilya Brizgalov. <laughs> What's the meaning of life? Is a hot dog a sandwich? Whatever. Um, your <laughs> your overhyped player. I was considering a couple here, including Alex Debrinkit of the Detroit Red Wings, who obviously is getting a bit of hype as an offseason acquisition. But I'm going to swerve a little bit. There's a lot of people that are really expecting a lot of huge things out of Cole Caulfield this season with the Montreal Canadiens, and it's based on goals per game in a limited injury-related number of games last season. And whenever you get into the ratios and projections on players like this, sometimes they don't play out if the guy does end up playing like 80 games. So I, I, it's not so much overhype because... I mean, really, how much hype is there around a Canadiens team that is clearly trying to be in the lottery again? But I do think that there is maybe an over-expectation on Cole Caulfield just going to extrapolate his goal scoring if he just plays a certain amount of games. Interesting pick. Uh, I'm just going to go with the obvious one, Connor Bedard. How dare he you? deserves it. He deserves the hype. Uh, he's sick of the hype. He just <laughs> wants to play hockey. Uh, for that reason, I'm going to pick Bedard. But... Uh, the fact is that's gonna it's gonna happen all year. Uh, he is gonna have a microscope on him. He's gonna have the spotlight on him. 
it's just going to happen. And hopefully he has plenty of Sports Center top 10 esque highlights uh, that we can talk about and yeah. feast on for years for 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 months to come. And like, let's diagnose this for a second. Like, okay. I was I was talking to somebody in Edmonton recently about we t- we talked about this on the on the show really this week about like McDavid and and what that would have looked like if McDavid didn't go to the Oilers if he went to an American team it's instead. I think there's three factors why the Bedard hype is so out of hand. One is it's a diff- different media landscape. You have two U.S. TV partners in ESPN and Turner versus NBC back when McDavid came in. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, you have this amazing growth in YouTube where people are just making videos over and over and over again about everything Bedard does. And also TikTok. Don't forget about that. The youngs, including my daughter, watch a lot of NHL content, not only on TikTok, but also Instagram. So <clears throat> you have a different media landscape. You have the Chicago Blackhawks of it all, where you have him playing on a a glamour franchise original six team in a market where everybody is desperate for them to become relevant again, because you need a power like that in the Western conference. Um, and then the, I, I guess the third thing is, is just like, he's real good <laughs> and, and everybody knows he's real good. It. And it's, it's not his fault that the Blackhawks sell $5 million worth of tickets on the promise of them drafting him, not even when they drafted him, just winning the lottery to draft him. Uh, when you start to hear things like that, it, it, he's just sort of a victim of his own talent and uh, becomes overhyped by that virtue. And he deserves it. He does. Yeah. Let's be honest. Um, your underhyped player. Uh, I'll go out into uh, Vancouver. Uh, Elias Pettersson, Petey, I like to call him. Um Underhyped in the sense that I don't think people really put him in that pantheon of complete, absolute superstar players, probably because the Canucks sort of fell off after their tease of uh, contention in the uh, COVID bubble uh, tournament. Uh, I I just think the world of this guy, I I think that he is one of the best scorers in the league, one of the best defensive players in the league. Uh, I have him as a stealth MVP candidate. Like I said on the show earlier this week, I think that he could also be a guy that wins the Selkie as a Ryan O'Reilly de facto MVP. I think Pedersen's so good. And and I I hope the Canucks are relevant again, because then uh, he can get uh, elevated into that pantheon of of true uh, 200 foot superstars in this league. Speaking of being elevated, that's why I picked Jack Eichel. Uh, not yeah. because we don't think he's a terrific player. He is a terrific player. He had 26 points in the Vegas Golden Knights playoff run in winning the Stanley Cup. It's just because I guess it's almost like a product of not talking about Vegas in general, Wish. The fact is, this guy's a superstar, and he can really elevate to that Mount Rushmore conversation for this season. Like, yeah. be, uh, being among the four best players on the ice this season. The thing is we're not putting him there on paper before the season starts. Cause we're talking about so many other players, Connor Bedard included. So he's not getting the share of the spotlight. I believe he deserves right now. Do you think he's considered changing his name to Connor? If your name is Connor, chances Connor are Eichel. people are talking about you these days. Connor, <laughs> Connor Eichel, Connor Eichel. It rolls Con- off the tongue. Yep. Yep. The all-star game will have Connor Matthews uh, and Connor Dreisaitl and Connor Eichel. Connor Robertson is going to make an appearance uh, in net. Uh, well, we have a Connor Hellebuck, so that's good. We do have like, a Connor already Hellebuck. Have one, so. Yep, exactly. So that's covered. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, the superstar of the NHL as it pertains to content, the chief content officer, Steve Mayer, joins us right now on The Drop. Very happy to be joined here on ESPN's The Drop by the chief content officer of the National Hockey League. We've been hounding him to get him on the show for years. 
since day one. He has been our white whale Captain Ahab guest. And we finally, well, finally have him on the show. Let, the great Steve Mayer is Steve, here. We got it. Steve, in full disclosure, our white whale remains Margot Robbie. Okay, you might have been like a smaller beluga <laughs> swimming beside her, but Margot Robbie remains the white whale for the drop. <laughs> now, first of all, that I was so excited after that introduction, and then Wyshynski brings me way down. I mean, come on. Well, hey, listen. By, by the way, that's a that's a good that's a good ask. Well, Margot will do this show eventually. I'm telling oh. you. That's my big prediction. Wow. I love it. I love it. And if Steve Mayer says it, then you know it to be true. And and as Um, you know, a huge hockey fan. Yes. That's why we want her on the show, Steve. It's not simply because she's Margot Robbie. It's because she's a hockey fan. (laughs) Just we're just picking random celebrities to come talk hockey. That'd be fun. That'd be a good segment. That's why you just wanted her on the show, which would have that would have been smart as well. Why not? (laughs) It's Speaking not like we're of, sitting here being like, we'd like the president of France on the show. No, we want hockey fans on the show. Yeah. Also a big hockey fan. I'm, I'm I sure. love it. Obviously, I'm sure. Speaking of random celebrities, uh, I'm sure there are many uh, throughout the history of the Vegas Golden Knights. Maybe some in attendance last night. But Steve, I want to start there because I believe that the Golden Knights have now set the bar at which all future banner raisings will be compared. <laughs> Uh, they had quite the spectacle, as you would expect from Vegas, reigning cup champs. Uh, they do a whole presentation, including a slot machine that eventually raises the banner. Uh, can you pull the curtain a little bit on that and uh, maybe some of the planning or just the thought process? What can you tell us about the banner raising yesterday in Vegas? Well, the one thing I can tell you is I, I agree with you guys. They've now raised the bar uh, and they... They actually, from what we now understand, uh, thought of this last year during the final, essentially. Like, they they thought, uh, like, what could we do uh, differently if we win? And, and the plans were in place right after they won the Cup to create that moment. They've been raising the bar when it comes to game presentation since they came into the league we all know that and and not only in hockey but in sports i mean just so unique and they've always leaned into vegas and that was an incredible moment some of the technology was was also incredible their their game presentation andrew abrams and team uh just do an amazing job and that coordination was just so unique. Uh, they had a computer driving the three essentially wheels to get to the Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup. It was a music or a sound effect that had to be timed perfectly. There was a lot of elements that just had to be perfect. Um, and they did it so well. And I, I agree. I think from the creative standpoint, I, I think now teams will lean in and you're just not going to see the banner being raised. You're going to see each of and every city lean into their environment and do something unique. Yeah. And, you know, I remember when they got the franchise in Vegas, uh, Gary Bettman famously vowed that there'd be no slot machines inside the arena. Six years later, look what we got. We got one. Slot <laughs> machines inside the arena, baby. <laughs> we got one. We got one. You know, Connor Bedard. 
you know, he makes his debut this week. He's on the Pat McAfee show. Jack Eichel's there on Monday Night Football with the Stanley Cup. You have been with this league for a while. You have seen generations of players come in through this league. Are we at a point now where you're working with some of these younger guys and you're finally working with a collection of players that get it, that get the marketing part of it, that understand the nuances of social media, that understand the promotion of the sport, the the, the name on the back instead of the logo on the front mindset? Are, are we now seeing a generation of players that are finally going to maybe for lack of a better term, play ball a little bit more with what you want to do for, for promoting the game? Um, I, I do believe so. And I and I think and I think it's also coming from some of the older players who have sort of given them the okay to go do it. Uh, you know, I think there was always this fear in the locker room that, you know, somebody, a younger player could disrupt that locker room. And And we all know it's the culture of the sport. But I also think you know, we've leaned into some of the veteran players who who I think have kind of given that sort of green light. Don't worry. You know, put yourself out there a little bit and it's OK. And I, I think we have a new generation who grew up on their phones, grew up looking at, you know, other things other than just hockey, hockey, hockey and want to be part of culture. And and now we also have partners um, not only in ESPN and ABC and Hulu, but also with Turner and TNT and, and in Canada, who just want to do more and more and the synergy and the opportunities are there. And we've just got to take them. And, you know, we have got to, when Monday night football is being played in Las Vegas, the night before our opener in Las Vegas, we better lean in to that opportunity and we better deliver. And, and I think you're going to see that way more. Pat McAfee loves hockey. Yesterday, a day after he had Bedard on the show, he, he's wearing a Penguins jersey. Um, you know, he wants more hockey players. We need to deliver. And so the message has been clear from the commissioner all the way down to every team, to every general manager, to every coach, that we want to have our players on – as much as we can, we need that access. And I think at least early on, you know, everybody is responding. And again, we've got some really good young players who like to do this stuff. Yeah, that's extremely encouraging. Uh, speaking of partnerships, and I just want to be clear, I'm asking this question knowing absolutely nothing. These <laughs> conversations would be way above my pay grade. So uh, Steve, you and I have worked extensively together, particularly in the NHL esports space. I find you to be a very forward-thinking guy. Uh, and one of the best things, in my opinion, uh, that was done in the hockey space last season was the Big CD Greens alternate cast. I thought it was awesome. Uh, it attracted a whole new audience. Uh, all I saw in the, in the hockey community was, oh, I watched this with my kids and my kids loved it. Really, really cool. What can fans expect and, and also, uh, you know, Big City Greens, the partnership with Roblox, there's some really cool activations happening. What can fans expect as it pertains to alternate broadcasts or different presentations of games uh, in the near future? So we um, we were so happy with the way that went last year. Uh, we have puck and player tracking. We call it NHL Edge technology that allows us uh, to do shows and programs like Big City Greens and others. Um, we watched, and everybody did, the, the NFL 
leaning into Toy Story and that combination, we're going to do way more. Uh, listen, the kids' audience is is so important to to any sport, to us especially. You know, we want to get in front of kids. Uh, what you said is so true. We heard so many comments about how I watched with my family. Man, you, you, that's that's the most important thing you can hear. And how how can we translate? watching with my family big city greens and what we did in that space to now i'm watching the games with my family or my six-year-old wants to go to a game and and so we we have this incredible technology that really could transform into any world we could be as creative as we possibly can uh big city greens is is something that we love the association uh such a popular show and we're going to do it again and again. And we're going to really lean into this technology way more as well in our broadcasts. Because we also think, you know, the, the younger generation, you know, they can't get enough of video games. Uh, you know, they're playing it. And how do we transform our environment into more of a video game? And then also through statistics and comparing player to player, how do we incorporate that more into our broadcasts, on our websites? in our stats and and make more of a story about it. And so I think you're going to see that way more this year. And you will see many, when I qualify many, more than we did last year, for sure, broadcasts like Big City Greens. Yeah, the kids love video games, says the 40-something-year-old who was up till 2 a.m. last night playing Fortnite. Uh, Two words (laughs) to you, Steve Mayer. Mexico City. I know that there's been interest from the Arizona Coyotes, the Los Angeles Kings. We've talked in the past about the potential of the Dallas Stars maybe being involved in a game down there. The Vegas Golden Knights obviously would be a team that you'd expect would be interested in that as well. Where are we on the potential for a Mexican Mexico City outdoor game? And what is the potential timeline for something like that to happen? So you added outdoor game. Uh, so that that was an interesting little piece that you threw in there. Well, they've got um, a gigantic stadium, Steve. What do. are we going to do? Yeah, Put them inside of a room have, closet? I mean, the stadium's right there for them. Yeah, for those who don't know, Azteca Stadium in Mexico City seats uh, 105,000. Yeah. So it's a big house in Mexico City. Uh, you know, listen, first of all, our international department and and art department of our events department uh we we get so many inquiries now from all over the world and we've heard from so many people who have done major events in big cities and they love hockey they want to explore the fact that hockey it it can come and be viable in their in their countries we just played uh, a couple of games in australia and mexico city is on a short list um because our teams um, are very interested in, in going there and, and exploring that market. Um, in many cases, we have players that play from the various countries, Norway, Finland, Sweden, and we all know. And, and that's why we've been so successful when we play games there and we're going to Sweden, as you guys know, in November. Uh, but there are teams that you know really would love to go to mexico and it's not just arizona it's 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 many teams in the nhl because that market is is available in their own city and and so 
it's something we're exploring as we're exploring many countries and 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 ex- expanding the international play. And um, and again, David Proper and his team are all over it. And you know, our events team ready to execute whether it's an indoor game or an outdoor game. You know, Mexico City, of course, because of climate, would be a little more difficult to do an outdoor game, but. Um, you know, those things are challenges for us that we love to to take on. Are there any countries you can uh, tell us, like any other countries on the list that you'd love to see the NHL play a game in? You know, I, listen, for me, um, I, I think I don't have any particulars, but I, okay. I think the more we we move into and and then it's also what we do after we play the games. I mean, I think, you know, the, everybody in the audience would know that, but yeah, the games are the impetus to sort of get the momentum going, mm-hmm. but then it's what we do afterwards and how we keep hockey in that market all year. That's the most important thing, but, you know, I, I'm actually so, sort of surprised by how many have come to us, how many countries, how much interest there is, because you would think we'd be a little limited to where they play hockey, but that's not the case at all. Many people want to get the game started. They think that there's a way, especially with the, the youth programs, that they could start, that that the game would become extremely popular in their country. And so we're all ears and willing to listen. And and I think in the next five years, you'll start to see us go to, to other places that we've never been to, to before. That's really cool. Um I think most of the people watch the drop know you from the outdoor games and the work that you've done in creating some amazing events during your time at the NHL. I believe the stadium series at MetLife marks will bring us to about 40 total outdoor games since the first winter classic in Buffalo. Um, so I'm curious, Steve, of the, all of the outdoor games, ones you've worked on, ones you haven't, which one are you most proud of? And is there one that you'd love to get another crack at, kind of like how the NHL got a second chance at Fenway? You know, I joined the league seven years ago. So, you know, I watched like you guys uh, from, well, actually, you you probably were there. I watched from my couch um, many of the early games. And, and, you know, the big house was a game that, you know, everybody still talks about so unique um you know filling a stadium of that magnitude you know and and having fans from both teams um you know that was that was quite memorable so for me i guess getting a chance to do a game like that um mm-hmm. because i didn't get to do the first game i i would i would welcome that opportunity and and i think we could be extremely creative and like we did in fenway which i was proud of we made it feel different than the first time. Yeah. And listen, let's face it, guys. You know, there are X amount of stadiums in this in this incredible country that are iconic, uh, and many of them we've been to already. So the the fact that we're going to have to repeat some of these stadiums is a is a fact of life, and it's just up to us. The challenge is how do we make it for the fans different than it was the first time. Um, but I, you know, we've done some, some work that we're, we're proud of. We, we feel like we're constantly getting better. It is incredible 40 games and, you know, selling out every time. And, you know, although, 
you know, the interest nationally and globally may be, you know, not as great as it was when we played in the big house. I, I still am blown away when we come to a particular city and how we just become the biggest show in town, the greatest show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll do it this year in Seattle. They're already talking about the Winter Classic in Seattle. And at MetLife, I think we're going to have a really unique approach to playing two games in two days and taking advantage of the markets of New Jersey and New York and Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. So, you know, I think that we're really excited about this upcoming schedule and all the things that we can do. The other thing for me is uh, doing a game in a unique place like we did in Tahoe. Mm. You know, there were some delays in Tahoe. (laughs) <laughs> the experience was incredible. I thought it, you know, it looked magnificent. And, you know, personally, I, I would love to get another shot at doing a game in a very unique place. Steve, it would be really cool to have you back on the show closer to Winter Classic slash Stadium Series, just to understand as much as you tell us, like, you know, the planning, the nuances, what goes into it that fans may not know. So hopefully we can organize that maybe a couple months down the line. I have one last question for you. It's time to break some really important news here. Will it be Drake or Justin Bieber performing at All-Star? Oh, it's going to be both, of course. Oh, my God. Confirmed. Confirmed wow. here on the drop. No, listen, it is. Uh, it, it, so, Drake, and hey, Justin, if you're listening, uh, please accept these offers. Um, yeah, we, listen, uh, we want to lean in and we always do, to the environment of where we're at and to the fans of of the particular team that is hosting the All-Star game. So, like again, no secret, oh, wow, we, we want Justin Bieber to be involved. That That's a shocker. We broke news today. But, <laughs> um, you know, we, uh, we're going to lean in every which way we can to the celebrity fan base, to what that that market is all about. I think I'm really excited about All-Star. Um, in fact, from Vegas, I'm heading to Toronto. We we have planning meetings all day tomorrow. To sign the contract with Justin Bieber for him yeah, to perform? Yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. it is. Perfect. Justin joining us for tomorrow. For the, <laughs> all right, the, there you go. For the survey <laughs> where we decide where the, um, you know, where to put, the the tent outside yeah. of the oh where would yeah that's interesting like what are the what are the candidates for fan fest like last year it's gonna be tough to top that that was on the beach a whole mile on the beach that looked awesome but toronto has some good locations that's interesting yeah, they do and then by the way it's a great city to activate an all-star game it, it yeah. really is i mean everything is condensed it's downtown it's all in the various areas so we're you know the city makes it a bit easier for our events team. I I will say this just as a tease. You talked about Bieber and Drake. I I do think in the coming weeks, we will have more announcements related to all-star and new information for our fans than we've ever had before. How's that for a tease? I like it. Love it. It's a good tease. See, Mayor. We're we're excited about it. And, um, and we're, you know, we've got some cool things planned. So I, I think you guys especially uh, will appreciate some of the things that we're going to announce. Love it. 
Steve Mayer, you're the best. Continued success, sir. Safe travels, and uh, thanks for making hockey uh, just a little bit weirder with the things that you do sometimes. <laughs> Listen, we're here for you. <laughs> Our thanks again to Steve Mayer for joining us here on The Drop. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Greg Wyshynski, Ardo Cal, with your reminder, we are here twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, also on the NHL on ESPN, YouTube. That's where you can find us twice a week. Uh, Greg, you've been very busy reporting on ESPN.com about the NHL and Pride Tape. What can you tell us? Yeah, so as you guys might have heard, uh, NHL players are banned from using Pride Tape, that rainbow tape on their sticks this season. It's part of the overall ban on specialty jerseys the NHL uh, had this season after all of the Pride Night controversies last season. Uh, the ban extends to any alteration of the uniform or equipment uh, that it re- as it relates to uh, supporting those causes on those specialty nights. And I wanted to mention two things on the show this week. The first is that the losers in these bands are, in fact, charities. Um, specialty jerseys from these nights, Pride Night, Hockey Fights Cancer, uh, Military Appreciation Night, uh, Latino Heritage Night, all these things, they're all auctioned off after games. And the proceeds from those auctions Uh, go to team foundations, they go to local charities. And some of these jerseys, depending on the player, can sell for well over $2,000. Now, the NHL has claimed that uh, in the specialty jersey ban that the teams can still make the jerseys, have players autograph them, and still auction them off. But who are we kidding? Like, a game-worn jersey is the thing that has value more so than anything else. Uh, The players not wearing them during warm-ups is going to impact the value of those jerseys is going to impact the money these charities get. The same goes for the pride tape on sticks. Connor McDavid had a stick with pride tape on it that he used in game. uh, And in 2022, it sold for over $1,500. Jeff McLean from pride tape, one of the co-founders of pride tape told me that the sales of these sticks help organizations like you can play, which has been the NHL's advocacy partner uh, in the gay community for a while um local charities and they also benefit pride tape so they can make more pride tape and send it for free to hockey organizations around the world so i wanted to kind of underscore something that gets lost in the culture war of it all which is that by banning these jerseys by banning pride tape on sticks uh, the nhl is impacting the charities uh that they're trying to help not only monetarily, but also through less exposure. Second thing I want to mention is something that Jeff McLean told me uh, about the origins of Pride Tape. He told me that the reason they chose stick tape as a way to symbolically support the gay community was because they didn't want a situation where teams were forcing players to participate in a movement they disagreed with. So out of all the options they thought about, they thought Pride Tape was a way for players to choose if they wanted to, to support the gay community uh, in their own way. Which is rather ironic (laughs) when you consider that the NHL banned teams from using these specialty jerseys and having their players have to wear them while also banning players from expressing their individuality and and choosing to support these causes on the ice if they wanted to. Essentially, the NHL chose to protect the personal beliefs and individuality of a small minority of their players uh, rather than 
support the personal beliefs and individuality of a majority of players that have supported these causes, not just Pride Night, hockey fights, cancer, military appreciation, everything else Mm -hmm. that have supported these causes for uh, many, many years. Um, we're talking players like Connor McDavid and Jack Hughes that have used rainbow tape on their sticks, but we've also talking about players like Travis, uh, Dermett, who's a defenseman for the Arizona Coyotes now, who told my colleague, Kristen Shilton, a couple of years ago that he used pride tape on his stick during games to support family members in the LGBTQ community. So the NHL decides to choose conformity over compassion, um, and the new policy is a mess. Let's be honest, it's a mess. But it didn't have to be this way. If you wanted to ban teams from forcing players to wear these specialty jerseys because of their personal religious beliefs or what have you, it's your league, you can make that policy. But why not allow players to make the individual choice to support these causes in ways on, on in their own, whether it's stick tape or ribbons or what have you? I mean, at the end of the day, it is doing what the NHL wants to do with this jersey ban, which is to put the spotlight on the charities, on the causes. By having these individual players, uh, you know, put those charities and causes in the spotlight by their own expression, um, I think it achieves what the NHL is trying to achieve. There's still time to reverse this decision, Arda. Like, it's regrettable overreach. And at the end of the day, as we saw this week, with it in some ways even overshadowing opening night in the NHL, um, it's something that makes the argument that hockey is for everyone even harder to make. And that's simply not something the NHL wants to do. A couple of quotes here from your article, which is up now on ESPN.com from Commissioner Gary Bettman, quote, our teams and our players are continuously encouraged to give back to the communities and get involved in the causes that they find important. What I think we did is we took the distraction away. And so now the concentration can be on the causes that we want to highlight. This is from Connor McDavid, quote, I've expressed disappointment in not being able to wear the various jersey or the tapes, whether that's pride tape or pink tape. It is something that I'd like to see back into place one day. Is it something that I'd like to see back into place one day? Certainly. So uh, Greg will continue to cover uh, this on ESPN.com. Let me support a little bit of regret now. Let me express it here individually. My regret is that uh, I ever doubted Lindy Ruff was the right coach for the Devils. <laughs> Were you part of the fire Lindy chance? Uh, I wasn't. I mean, I heard them. I, I think it was in the press box, so I couldn't take part. You were chanting fire Lindy in the press box when he when he was hired in 2020 man like I just didn't think he was the right coach for the team and I went back and forth I remember having some wars with people that knew him over text about like how wrong I was because I had an impression of him from his days in Dallas and his days in Buffalo and they're like he can adapt and I said Kenny because this league is certainly going in a more offensive speed oriented way and he adapted I mean, like the Devils are a prototypical team right now as far as the way that they play up tempo with speed. Uh, I think they were like fourth in offense last year, fourth or fifth and eighth in defense last year. Um, and so like he was the right guy. And not only that, the right guy also for a young team. He came in while they were rebuilding. They didn't find instant success. And guys like Jack Hughes, like sing the praises of Lindy Ruff. And the Devils gave him a multi-year contract extension this week. And, uh, you know, he had one more year left on his deal. And he turned out to be the right hire. And I was very wrong about him. How things change. My goodness. Well, I listen, I mean, this really started with the sorry Lindy chance. I thought that was very classy from the <laughs> Devils fans. From fire Lindy to sorry Lindy in what, three weeks? 
It wasn't yeah, that long. It, yeah, the October turnaround was, was very Lindy. fast. October was Fire Lindy. November was Sorry Lindy. Then Lindy said that maybe they can we can all get a beer together one day and have a laugh about it. So, I mean, he's flush with cash now. So, and we're all very thirsty, Lindy. So, yeah. find us. Speaking of having a beer and a laugh, or maybe a cigar, more appropriate, uh, from one coach to another, uh, let's turn our attention to Barry Melrose. The uh, announcement was made on Tuesday, a very, very classy uh, from uh, Steve Levy on SportsCenter, uh, who led us into a, a fantastic feature on Barry Melrose, who is stepping away from ESPN. Uh, he has a Parkinson's diagnosis. He wants to spend more time with his family, his wife, Cindy, uh, and his kids as well as grandkids. You see, hockey is more than a game. It's a community. A finely tuned orchestra. And Barry was our conductor. I, tell you, I really enjoy your work on TV. Hey, thanks very much, man. I really do. I, I, I appreciate I, I that. It's, it's distracting me. They're counting me down. I don't even know what to say. You got a haircut, yeah. Haircut 10 days. I'm not sure if the fans. Got my playoff knows. haircut. It's already starting to grow. Kings were a better team. They were deeper, they were bigger. Barry has given so much to the game. I think you are the best analyst on television. And now he needs our support. And all of us in hockey. Barry Melrose, cool as a rule. Are here for him. Ladies and gentlemen, Barry Melrose. Barry Melrose means a lot to me, Wish. Uh, I, I, I've spent a lot of time with him at ESPN. He was my first NHL analyst on anything I did uh, in hockey. And he was somebody that was decades into his NHL career. There's a lot of like, you know, you you hear the testimonials, the outpouring of support from people all around the hockey world and even outside of the hockey world, how much he meant to hockey and growing the game on American television. And you even said it, he belongs in the Hockey Hall of Fame, the oh, Foster Hewitt Award. Without question. Without question. He, he was the face of, of of hockey on American television for, for well over two decades. And, uh, you know, whenever... There'd be news that broke. You'd expect him to show up on SportsCenter and talk about it. And, you know, listen, as a hockey fan, I didn't agree with all of his takes, but but at least he had them. And and there's no question that but you his, respected him. That's the yeah. Big, and, and his exactly. and his passion for the game came through. And then he and he was uh, the voice of hockey in many ways on ESPN for a really long time. The two things about Barry I wanted to mention, um, and they're both related to, to coming to ESPN after I left uh, Yahoo. Um no one was was kinder to both me and Emily Kaplan when we arrived than Barry was. Uh, we both came to ESPN at a time of a lot of uh, turnover, let's say, in the ranks of of the company. And um, you know, it was it was weird. It was a weird time. and and Barry was as cool as you could possibly imagine to new people uh, within the the hockey group, um, welcoming, gregarious, funny. Uh, kernels of advice that he could give us having been there for as long as he could. And, and and also on the road, like he'd be the guy that, you know, try to wrangle you into a steak dinner with uh, Steve Levy when you're at the, uh, in the playoffs where, you know, me and Emily would go eat with them and stuff. So, I mean, just the nicest guy and the most welcoming guy. And the other thing I wanted to say too, because if, if there's anything, let's see, the iconic things about Barry Melrose Arda would be mullet, right? Mm -hmm. It would be cigars, Yep. And it would be the suits. And I'll never forget the first time I ever came to ESPN for orientation. I was in the lobby of my hotel. And I see this figure sauntering to my right to grab 
what I think was a, like a microwave burrito or something. And I look over and it's Barry Melrose in a shirt and shorts. It rocked my world. <laughs> like, like Barry, Barry is somebody who never wears shirt and shorts. I figured he slept in the suit. In the suit. He's got to look dressed to the nines at all times, right? <laughs> but, that, yeah. but that's Barry. Like, but that's why he's such an icon is that when you close your eyes and you hear the words Barry and Burroughs, you know exactly what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And once again, we started this soliloquy talking about his coaching tenure. I mean, the guy was also an iconic coach with Los Angeles Kings. Uh, well-loved within the coaching ranks, well-loved within the NHL. Um, just the nicest guy. And 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 the and the remembrances of, of his career um, I, I went, uh, upon his retirement, I think, speak to uh, how wonderful he was to all of us at ESPN and, and, and how great he's been for the hockey community. Yeah, I'd love to share a couple stories as well uh, yeah. and, and to echo your sentiments. Uh, no one has a bad word to say about him, whether it's in the hockey community, the broadcasting world, and definitely within the walls at ESPN, just you can see the outpouring of support on social media, how much he was revered and loved as a human being and how he treated others. He was always so respectful and kind and very kind to me early in my career. The two stories I'd love to share is I had the absolute pleasure once of uh, being in a green room and watching Barry Melrose and Chris Berman talk hockey. Uh, and it was wow. it was hilarious because I didn't like I, when I met then this was the first time I had met Boomer or just spent time with Boomer. And he was telling me that he would listen to Montreal Canadiens radio broadcasts uh, from New York. He would just get them and he would yeah. just listen to uh, Canadians broadcasts. And then he looked at Barry and just completely randomly as if they were in lockstep. They started rhyming off the 1968 Montreal Canadiens roster. <laughs> Player by player. And I'm watching this and I'm like in awe that this is happening. That like Boomer is doing this too, which is hilarious. But also that they remember the names. And then when they got to the end, I was like, I'm looking at the other people I was with. And we just kind of had like felt compelled to give them a standing ovation in the green room. (laughs) Because it's like, this is the coolest thing ever. It's like, I can't believe we actually just saw this. So that was a lot of fun. And we would spend, so uh, Coach and I spent a lot of time in studio together, and often we would have late nights. Like, we wouldn't get on the air sometimes until 3 a.m., 4 a.m. And I remember one day, uh, you know when you get to that, like, delirious state where everything is funny to you? Like, you're just up so late. There was was one time, I think it was like 3.30 in the morning. We're still waiting to get into studio. And Coach, we're sitting on the couches, and Coach turns to me and goes, Hey, Name me some NHL players from Saskatchewan. So I'm like, uh, okay. Uh, Jordan Eberle. He looks at me and he goes, Regina, go older. <laughs> okay. So I'm starting thinking now. I'm like, uh, Ron Greshner. He goes, good soil. Great town. 200 people. Keep going. <laughs> I'm like, uh, sure. Hmm. Uh, Joey Kosher. Calvington, obviously. By the way, did you know that I'm also on that welcome sign? <laughs> so we look it up and he shows me the Calvington sign of like him and Wendell Clark and Joey Kosher, like all on the sign. And it just like this went on for like 90 minutes, Wish. Like we had to change provinces and different yeah. states. Like he just like just the most random ways to kill time when you're uh, try, uh waiting to get on a show. Dude. But that's Barry. That's the that's and, his that's his that's his that's his demeanor. You know, it's that's his demeanor. And, and again, like at his core. 
good old humble small town Canadian boy, right? Like that's that's the core of that man. Man, uh, so to Barry, uh, we love you. You are a captain MVP at ESPN. You always will be, and uh, we hope that we cross paths uh, very very soon as you enjoy your time at home with your family. Uh, that wraps things up here on the drop. Thank you very much for listening, for watching, however you are consuming the show. We will be back next Tuesday. Enjoy the weekend of NHL action. Goodbye. Take care.